When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hail Varsity Radio on a Saturday morning. Nice to have you along. My name is Mark Cranack. We are here with uh, Elijah Herbal. Herbal or Herbal? Do I go hard H? Uh, I believe the family way to say it is with the hard H. Yes, that would be correct. But I mean, it's it's no it's no difference to me. I know you're talking to me. It's like, well, well I know, but I don't want to. You know, your family's probably listening. Somebody in your family that cares about you. Somebody that cares about you is listening. And they hear me call you herbal. And they're like, God, this guy. So it's it, it, the thing is, is it wouldn't be the first time for the family. And then I've already I've already dug my own grave by making my name on social media. Herbal essences, which I mean, the brand is is pronounced herbal. So I've dug my own grave there. I, I, I've, I've come to expect it at this point that my last name is just however people want to pronounce it. Do you ever regret that decision going with herbal essences as your Twitter handle? Uh, a, a little bit. The, the problem sometimes is like it's a great name. It's creative. It's like I I enjoy it, it but also it kind of becomes who you are at that point. Is yeah. is like is well, once you've had it for so long, people just go, oh, herbal essences. Like that's just that's just who I am now at this point. So it's it's there's the give and the take, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it makes a lot more sense than going with like Garnier Fructis. <laughs> something right because there's there's at least the connection with your name and damon Barr is is on the board much easier to pronounce we are pronouncing that right yeah much harder to confuse that one it's not damon bahar it's Barr. you got that you okay. got that <laughs> schmidt schmidt is on assignment in arizona if you can't um, tell by now <laughs> yeah he'll be back yeah exactly uh he'll be back next week and you know elijah we were uh you know talking deeply deeply about what our show could be about today. And I think there's a, I think we have a challenge upon ourselves here. I think it is to avoid being dramatic today and focusing on the drama that surrounds the, the Husker football program. Because if you think about it, it's pretty much been soap opera radio since the 20... 20- 18, 2015, and it's not even our fault. I'm not saying that we get dramatic about it. It's just there's been so much drama surrounding the program for so long that it's easy to just slip into that and to talk about it because there are so many things like Oklahoma Gate. I mean, the fact that there is even a thing called Oklahoma Gate tells you a lot. Like, how how is there an Oklahoma Gate? There should not be an Oklahoma, but there there is. There was an Oklahoma gate. Um, you know, there's been a lot of that kind of stuff. 
And so I think we should try to have a show today where we completely refrain from those elements. And I, I, I don't know how we would totally define that. Um, and I don't even know if it's possible. But I think it's worth a shot. Do you think it's possible? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've you, just look, reached the point where after the last five seasons, it feels like everything around the Husker football program just is drama. Like, even if it's like in a... In the 1990s, wouldn't have been drama, but now because it's 2021 and we've like haven't made a bowl game in five years or however long it's been, like it just becomes the it naturally lends itself towards drama being made because people care so much. Yeah. Well, I'm, look, you guys are around the show daily, mm-hmm. obviously with Chris. I, is there ever a day without it? Without Can, drama. Is, yeah, where it's just like straight up. No, no, no. Let's break down and discuss like the actual football, like the actual position groups, like that. I mean, cause spring's coming. Spring, what is it? Start Monday? Monday, uh, right? Uh, Monday, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's like, come on. They're, they're just, they finish up winter conditioning. Here comes spring football. Let me look at my calendar here. Is it Monday or is it a week from Monday? I think it might be a week from Monday. Uh, you see, you notice how I went non-specific with Monday. Could be any Monday, uh, <laughs> right? And say this Monday, next Monday, just said Monday. Um, but right, so spring football is coming. Winter conditioning just wrapped up. I, I just think it's a worthwhile endeavor. I, I think we should. I think we stay away from Oklahoma Gate. I think we stay away from, you know, did Moose say this or Frost say that or. Players transferring and what I'll say though is is even just talking about the play on the field, it, it's going to naturally lend itself to the conversation turning dramatic anyway. You talk about the quarterback position and boom, you got drama. Talk about the offense and you're going to talk about Wandale and JD and all that. It, it lends itself towards drama. Defensive no. side of the ball, I, I think, is pretty drama free this year. I mean, you're only really replacing DiCaprio Boodle from that defense as uh, Colin Miller too at middle linebacker, but you kind of know who's going to step in at middle linebacker. Um, when you saw the play last year of uh, Henrich and kid from North Star's name slipping me. Um, Rhymers. Rhymer, yeah. So, well, I mean, defense drama-free, but like even just looking at what's on the field for the offense, I feel like it, that there's just drama in itself with that. Look, okay, and maybe we have to define drama, right? Okay. okay. Look, there's always going to be natural drama with any team. Just, you know, who starts, who doesn't, who mm-hmm. plays well, who doesn't. Like that kind of drama I'm okay with. That's not the drama I'm talking about. I'm talking about the stuff that's like – Sort of avoidable, um, uh, uh, causes strife, creates headlines that has pretty much zero to do with on the field, right? Like it just doesn't have anything. It's like it's 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 things like players departing from Lincoln, Nebraska, forever to go somewhere else. That's dramatic, right? That's not really about like the play on the field. That's like. You know, Luke McCaffrey, Wandale Robinson, these people just bailing. Warner, right? Like, that's different. I'm talking, like, but yes, the drama of, like, who will start a quarterback or who will start at this position, who will start at that. But that, that's all fair game, and I think that's okay, and I think we okay. start that now with the offense. Okay. I, th- I think it starts right now, and and, and we just – this is a no-drama Saturday. Let's do it. Let's enough do it. going on. There's enough of that going on. I do not think we'll be successful, but we're going to try. 
<laughs> we're gonna we're gonna really try. And so let's do that. Let's throughout the show. Let's break down the different um, position groups. And the drama within the groups is totally fine. Let me talk about that. Uh, and and you mentioned it. There there is definitely more intrigue on the offensive side of the ball than there is on the defensive side of the ball. You kind of know what you're going to get on the defensive side of the ball. It's sort of like whatever what, whatever names or faces arise on defense this year is sort of gravy because you kind of already know what's going to happen there. So we'll save defense for later. Let's start with offense, and let's start with where it all starts, Elijah Herbal, the offensive line. Let's go. My favorite topic. You played offensive line as well, right? So you're an expert, complete expert. You know absolutely everything about offensive line because you played in high school, right? Oh, yeah. So. I'm, I'm pretty much the authority of offensive line play within the state of Nebraska. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of anyone Chris has ever had on the show that knows more about offensive line play than me. Yeah, uh, I really don't know why you're not coaching. No, um, I don't know why I'm not in the NFL. <laughs> it's kind of hard to, I don't really understand it either. <laughs> what, what went wrong? Maybe we should talk about this drama. Uh, I, I think it was my unathletic parents. I think that was the problem. Okay, let's let's look at. <laughs> I blame <wow>. them. <laughs> way way to raise their spirits at seven fourteen in the morning. Uh, so they're not listening. They're still asleep. Are you kidding? Well, okay. Well, can't blame them. The way this thing has started today. Uh, kidding. Okay, so offensive line. What Nebraska has coming back some questions that remain. I think you got three spots that are locked down. Your your two tackles and your center. Right? Is that that I don't think that's a reach right now. You got Brant Banks at right tackle or not right not Brant Banks. Bryce Bennett at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Turner Corcoran at left tackle. Cam Jurgens at center. Those are just like unless something crazy happens, you got those three positions I think locked. And and when you look at when you look at how the the difference in the offensive line play and just the difference in his movement, and you having played offensive line, you you can probably speak to this a little bit better than most. Not to take away from Brendan Hymas, who's going to get a shot at the NFL, and he'll probably land on a on a team, and he'll probably slide down to guard. Corcoran just moves differently mm-hmm. than anybody else on that offensive line. And when you hearken back to the glory days of when Nebraska could run the ball, you had that in spades. You had guys like Weigert, had guys like Shields. I know we played guard, but you had dudes that could get out and move, dudes that actually had some athleticism that you could conceivably see play like power forward. In basketball, you could see them play in other sports because they're light on their feet. They can get out and run. They're just they don't just sort of like tip over. They don't carry any bad weight. I mean, I, you, it's easy to watch a game and not focus on an offensive lineman and not watch them and just watch the ball, and that's normally what I do. That's normally what a lot of people do, but, like, he stuck out. You wanted to watch. You're like, okay, what's this kid about? You know, you're losing Brendan Hymas. First time a different person started a left tackle in, like, four years for Nebraska. Like, what's that going to look like? It's going to look different, and damn, it looked different. 
I, am I talking them up too much? It's one game. It's, it's Rutgers. Yeah. It's, it's one game. But no, I'm with you completely. He's got something that's very hard to, for an offense lineman to develop or teach. It almost has to be natural, and that's his hip flexibility. He's got great hip flexibility from the tackle spot, and that's what's really important. That's what. All right, Todd, hold on. Go, go a little further than that. What do you mean, hip flexibility? Uh, the ability to, to kind of. It, it's. It's hard to describe if you haven't been an offensive lineman, but when you're like sitting back in a pass set, your hip flexibility is very important. Uh, so those speed rushers off the edge are able to just always get the corner on you. Uh, that's something that he has just naturally within his game, I think, considering he's only a freshman. Uh, a lot of guys have to, to develop that. Um, that was something that I was not good at in high school. I always heard hip flexibility a lot um, because I didn't have any hip flexibility. It, it, it's the, uh, the ability to, to, to sit back in your chair, uh, if, if that makes sense in your pass set to kind of keep your weight back. Uh, and yet, it, it's hard to describe, I guess I should say, at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday after not having <laughs> played offensive line for four years. Um, it's one of those things that it's an eye test for me. Is to be able, I, I know good hip flexibility when I see it. He's got it. Um, but when I look across this, the, the offensive line as a whole, I think that they have guys that are, I mean, I look back to four years ago. I don't think they had guys that were that had the body types to go be successful in the Big Ten. But I look across that offensive line now, and you got guys six foot eight, six foot nine, three hundred plus pounds. They're strong. Uh, they look the part of a Big Ten lineman now. Uh, I, I think what this offensive line needs to develop is that mean streak. Uh, they need to be a little bit nasty in the trenches. I, I watched Bryce Binhart play last year, and that's what he didn't always do. He didn't finish his blocks. Didn't block through the whistle. That's something I heard as an offensive lineman growing up a lot, uh, and I feel like that's just what you heard playing football growing up a lot was play through the whistle. And that's uh, especially true with the offensive line play. I want to see these guys in the spring uh, be nasty, play through the whistle. I want to see some pancakes maybe a little bit after the whistle, just because that's what that offensive line needs in the Big Ten to, to be successful and to clear a good path uh, for, let's be honest, Nebraska's undersized running backs uh, as a whole, that running back room, I should say, a little bit undersized. We still haven't seen Marquis step, but when you look at the off or uh, what, what type of talent Frost is recruiting to the running back position. You don't want them getting smoked. Uh, you, you want guys that are going to be able to, to clear a path for them, be a little bit mean. If we get a couple personal foul calls because they're blocking through the whistle, blocking the late, that, that's kind of what I want from the offense line in the Big Ten. Yeah, there's and there's quite a few options outside of those guys, outside of the two tackles that we just mentioned. Yeah, you got, yeah, I mean, you got guys like Brock Bandu who's been waiting for his chance. Ethan Piper got some good play time last year. Uh, just a lot of guys waiting in the wings of uh, We've heard uh, Brant Banks has been cross-training, playing a little guard, playing a little tackle as well. Uh, really, the extent we've seen him play is in a Big Ten tournament basketball game. So uh, I think there's a lot of guys that have just been waiting for their chance in the offensive line. Uh, and I want to see guys win the positions that have that nasty in them. Nuruddin uh, Nuili, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he's a transfer in from Colorado State, went to Norris, uh, originally from Frankfurt, Germany. But he started as a freshman at Colorado State, so he's got some chops there. Um, and then another kid, Ezra Miller, who was um, originally at Iowa and left the Iowa program. So you have some a couple of transfers that could play on one of those inside spots as well. You, you got some dudes. And I, this is one of the you know few times in the last several years where you can say – you. you you don't have to just sort of like settle. I feel like there are several past offensive lines where you kind of had to settle and you were just like, Oh God, we, you know, we got these two good linemen and then pretty much have to play this guy and have to play this guy, <laughs> have to play this guy. You know, it, 
it didn't seem like you had a lot of options. It feels like you do now. Um, albeit there's, they're still somewhat young. And you mentioned something too, about how, look, the profile of these guys that are playing, nobody's going to be below like Cam Jurgens is, is the shrimp of the bunch. And he's like six, three, right? He's the tiny guy. Everybody else is like six, five plus six, 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 seven, six, eight, six, nine. There's pros and cons to that. Cause we talk about offensive line and running the ball and leverage and getting, you know, who's, who's low, who's not. And that, that's, that's where that's where hip flexibility comes into play, Mark Cranach. We're, we're, we've come there back full go. circle. And whenever you're so tall, six foot eight, six foot nine, you're going up against uh, a six foot two, three hundred and twenty pound defensive lineman. You got to go dig out of there. It's important to be able to to get under them and get that leverage uh, and have the flexible hips so that you can stay under them because it's football. I mean, another thing you heard growing up playing offensive line, low man wins. Uh, right. And whenever you're that that big, tall, six foot eight, six foot nine guy, it's hard to get the leverage under a guy. So that's again another factor the importance of, of hip flexibility which I think Turner Corcoran excels at. I think he's going to be a good offense lineman for this team for years to come and you got a couple of freshmen that have a chance to make noise and it's it's happened before I mean look uh, um, Bennett did it and so did Corcoran uh, Teddy Prochaska I think he goes by Prochaska I, I know there's some Prochaskas that spell it the exact same way from southeast Nebraska um, but we'll go with Prochaska for now until we're told otherwise 6'9", 280, freshman out of Elkhorn South. Uh, Big-time player, highly ranked recruit. And Henry Litovsky, too, um, kid out of Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Um, I, I like the Litovsky like kid at a lot. He's coming in at 6'6", 320. Uh, the Latovsky kid is a kid that I, I think is uh, when I watch his tape, he's got that mean streak, that nasty, and the, the what I want from an offensive lineman. I, I saw um, Prohoshka, Prohoshka, however we want to pronounce it. Um, I, I'll, I'll wait for the media guide on that one. Uh, but when I watch, I've watched him play a couple times uh, from doing high school games around ESPN Lincoln, and uh, he, he's a guy. Uh, do I go back to hip flexibility one more time on this morning? Uh, he, do it. Do it. He, he didn't necessarily always have the best leverage, I thought, in high school football. And again, it's because being a tall guy, six foot eight, six foot nine, especially against high school D linemen. Some of those guys are five foot ten, five foot eleven. Uh, he, he struggled to get under them at times, but obviously he's a big mauler, six foot nine, two hundred and eighty pounds. He didn't struggle that much in high school. So I, I I think he's got a bit of a learning curve to get back to the uh to get up to the college level, uh to be playing defensive one lineman, but also I'm not in the program. I'm not seeing the work he's putting in. Um but I I think he's a a guy who's gonna have to sit behind the likes of Ben Hart and, and Corcoran for a little bit before he gets his chance, but I do think he's a very good uh, a very good option coming up and another guy again who fits that six foot eight six foot nine big ten mean nasty lineman frame. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, Elijah, but it was something like I want to say there were oh god when when Riley first left there were maybe twelve scholarship offensive linemen or something like that um, on the roster. And uh, or, or it was like during his tenure, I, I just remember there was a very low number and there was a really heavy reliance on walk ons at that position. And that's totally flipped now under Frost for all the drama that we want to talk about or, or avoid this morning uh, and their attrition, which we'll talk to Brandon Vogel about a little bit later, which is very interesting. Um, and it kind of makes you think, God, it's really not a Frost problem. It's just a Nebraska problem. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, roster construction has been vastly different and you, you do have, it feels like, uh, just a lot more scholarship options at just about every position. And that hasn't always been the case because of the attrition 
the backfill has not been as good in previous regimes. It's pretty good under Frost. Yes, there's some revolving door stuff going on. Yes, it's frustrating for watching players transfer away. But those positions get backfilled <laughs> with scholarship players, unlike they kind of did, and they kind of didn't before. You mentioned running back earlier. Let's move over to that that position right now. You, you want to talk about backfilling? You want to talk about scholarship numbers? Holy crap! I, I believe there are what is it seven scholarship running backs? Maybe six. Listen, hear me out. Ramir Johnson, Marvin Scott, Ronald Tompkins, Sevion Morrison, Gabe Irvin, Marquis Stepp. So that's six. And then there's talk that a person like Cooper Jewett, Jacquez Yant could get another spot. So you have, you have six scholarship running backs right now. That is a lot. And, and so speaking of, those, of drama and-, and departures, by the way. That will not be the case after spring ball. <laughs> and, and of those six, you look at it, and I, I hear the names. I'm expecting Step to be a guy who's going to be getting some playtime next year. He kind of fits that mold of, of the the Big Ten, Dedrick Mills type, uh, Divina Zigbo type back that has found success within this Nebraska offense. So you expect that Step's going to get a significant amount of playtime next year, uh, barring any injuries or setbacks or what have you. But then I look at the other five, and I, I couldn't give you one of those guys, which to me is, has risen to the top and has told me like, ah, oh, yeah, that, that guy's our, our clear 1B back next year. That's the guy who I, I think is going to be getting a lot of snaps because we've found this offense is a lot better when there's two running backs that can be productive uh, and get yardage whenever it is needed. Whenever, I mean, I think back to two years ago, you had Divine Zigbo and Maurice Washington. You had Divine Zigbo who got yards his way, powered downhill, and then Maurice Washington who was using the lightning and the speed to get downfield and get yardage. Haven't had that since, and it's hurt the Nebraska offense. And, and I look at that running back room, and I think a second guy has to rise to the top in the spring and show, like, yeah, I've put in the work on the offseason. I'm ready to be that second guy, the guy that we can turn to whenever Marquis Step is tired, or even the guy we can turn to whenever Marquis Step isn't as effective against a certain defense. Look, you have six scholarship guys and like 14 total. And I hear you. And one of the reasons why none of those guys have stood out to you yet, a couple of reasons, I think. One, they're all freshmen. I mean, there's sort of like non-traditional freshmen. There's a couple of redshirt freshmen, a couple of COVID. Everybody gets an extra year freshmen, but they're all listed as freshmen. <laughs> I mean, literally all of them. Ramir, redshirt freshman. Uh, Marvin Scott, freshman. Tompkins, redshirt freshman. Sevion Morrison, freshman. Gabe Irvin, that's coming in, freshman. So, right, these guys haven't gotten a lot of playing time. And then just reading a little bit from Ryan Held this week, the running backs coach, uh, they had some problems last year with with COVID in that position group and injuries. And he he's he, he was not saying this to make excuses. I just want to make sure that's clear, like within the context of how he was answering the question. He was just like, we just we just never got settled last year because it was like this guy would get injured and then that guy would get COVID. And then this guy. So, you know, it was just a it was a very strange year. And I think you had to play players like Marvin Scott maybe ahead of schedule because of that. I think by the end of this spring, that number is going to decrease. You're not going to be able to keep six scholarship running backs going into the fall. I don't, I don't think there's any chance in hell that that happens. Two of those names at minimum, I think, are gone after this spring. So it's a very important spring to see, to your point, who rises to the top. I think the most likely, just considering where the offense is going, considering the position, uh, the, the conference that you compete in, 
it's going to trend towards those bigger guys. I think when you first got here, when Frost first got here, they were trying to copy-paste what they had at UCF. Mm-hmm. You know, they're used to killings. They're used to these smaller, just like, give me the dude that runs a 4-3, give him a seam, and let him go. And it hasn't quite worked out like that here. It just hasn't due to defensive style, due to offensive style, due to, I mean, all kinds of factors. Those seams don't exist right now. <laughs> and I don't think they're going to. And I'd also say it's hard for a, a running back like that. It, it, they can be successful in a, a one-off game against a Power 5 team like Auburn with a, a defense that flies around and hits hard. But I'm just not sure how well those guys hold up in a, a nine-game conference slate whenever you're five foot 10, 180 pounds trying to go through the hole. It's a lot different than whenever you're six foot two, 240 pounds going through the hole. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I think Scott has found that while his system was successful and worked whenever they had to go up and play a, a Big Ten type team, an SEC type team, I don't think it works once you have to translate it over to a full nine game conference schedule against these teams that really in their defense have guys that are just as fast as these four three four four running backs just sitting out there, but they also have 20, 30 pounds on them. Yeah. And look, it's funny you bring up Auburn. Uh, Killen's got violated in that Auburn game. I was concerned for his safety. I'm not joking. I know really. I, and that's he, what I'm saying with the it, he got it, it body slammed a, a couple times, like literally picked up, you know, by like a 310 pound athletic defensive tackle, like literally picked up off, feet off the ground, almost like a cartoon when you like take the bad guy and you grab him by the collar and you put him up against the wall like that and then just slam him. Too. I was like, get this dude off the field. Like, he's going to get murdered. Yeah, it, it, it was horrible. It worked for the one game, but imagine if he had to go back out and then play, oh, I don't know, Ohio State or Wisconsin yeah, next no, week. No. <laughs> it doesn't work. And so I think I, that's kind of where I wonder what happens with somebody like Ramir Johnson, mm. who is really highly touted coming in. He's put on some good weight. He is a, He's a top-end speed guy. That's what he is. Uh, right? But I, I just don't know if that – I don't know if his body type works. We'll see. Prove prove us wrong. But so far in what we've seen of him over two years, you know, he hasn't really stuck out. He hasn't really been able to break out and create big plays. I think the two people to look out for outside of also, I think we should set expectations a little bit with uh, with the transfer in from USC step. Look, Marquise is a he's a good player. He's a bruising player. He's two hundred thirty some pounds. He's not your game breaker. He's not. He he. I don't think he has that top end like a Zigbo does, or even or even that Mills did. At least I haven't seen it. If yeah. he has it, I haven't seen it. Yeah, he doesn't have that top end speed. He is much more your bruiser type, and I think you're going to have to complement him with somebody who's a little sleeker, but also big enough to your point to take the pounding. And I think you have two candidates there. I think you have two. I think it's Sevion Morrison, who we don't know anything about because we haven't seen him, but we do know he's six foot two ten. We do know he broke Spencer Tillman's uh, Oklahoma State rushing records. We know he's talented and he was highly recruited. And then Gabe Irvin, the kid out of Buford, Georgia, mm-hmm. who on film, anyways, to me is sort of like that quintessential running back. He's got good top end speed. He's got good moves. He's got good physicality. Good instincts. Doesn't do any one thing great. Does all of it pretty well. He looks like a very instinctive and, and kind of natural runner. 
Mark, we, we got to get out of here. I think we got to we got to get to the uh, to the rewind with Mitch Sherman. See what happens when Chris isn't here and we're looking at the official clock. All right, let's do that. Let's let's step aside. Uh, but, but rewind coming up. I will say we we made it a good half hour without talking anything really all that dramatic. I'm proud of us. See? And that's going to continue. That's going to be the theme for the rest of the show. Let's uh, step aside. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic joined Chris earlier this week, and we'll play that for you when we come back on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time to get caught up with Mitch Sherman from The Athletic, at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. So I'm headed, uh, well, I guess your way, Mitch, uh, down in Arizona. You beat me to it, man. Congrats on a little R&R. Thanks for stepping away from vacay to talk some football. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Enjoying uh, a little bit of time away before spring football and trying uh you know these limited seats are uh, are a challenge but trying to uh, maybe catch a few innings of royal spring training while i'm uh down here all right we'll get to football in two seconds when did when did the royals bug bite you i was like four or five and my dad always just loved watching george brett so yeah. i would go to his softball Similar. games similar it was right about the time that the royals started to get good in the mid 80s right so I was around and old enough to remember the 84 playoff team that lost to the uh, to the great Detroit Tigers. That was a, that was an amazing team and went on to win the World Series and the Rebels were um, were swept out of the playoffs. But um, in '85, uh, I was all in for sure, <laughs> and I I that that was that was what hooked me. I would say, and that was a great year for Brett. And it was a great time to be a Royals fan. You know, even even after that, when when things went south a little bit, you had Bo Jackson and and a lot of players to root for. So, you know, just a thirty year dry spell until until things perked up again the last decade. And, and hopefully, it won't be that long. Hopefully, that the uh, you know the Bobby Witt train is pulling into the station, and and soon he can help with this core uh, lead Kansas City back to uh, respectability. It's it's just always fun to 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 get caught up and watch Royals and uh, even better in the sunshine in, in Arizona for some spring training. Mitch Sherman's with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Mitch with the Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. It's where you find him. So I know we're a few days removed from uh, the Oklahoma Nebraska fiasco and man, what a weird day Friday was. Is I got one ear and one eye out to, you know, how how real is this with Nebraska-Oklahoma maybe not happening, and then I'm getting ready for state basketball, and I know you were on high alert as well. Mitch, as we kind of distance from Friday, uh, I really enjoyed your column as well on The Athletic, just with just the, the, the tone this kind of makes uh heading not only into spring football but beyond for nebraska football it's just a a hard look and it's it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to wipe this out right you know i woke up saturday morning and i thought man that was a weird dream yeah but uh (laughs) it, it seemed like that and you know you mentioned having one eye and one ear on trying to determine if it was real you know i think part of the reason that this was so 
quiet in Nebraska. Nebraska is a, is a small uh, place where a lot of people, um, you know, hear a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And generally when there's breaking news or some kind of a story that maybe catches casual observers off guard, you know, there, there have been whispers about it. And, you know, we've heard it. Other people have heard it. That wasn't the case on this. And, I, and, and you know, in doing some reporting on Friday, I, I came to realize that part of the reason that it was as quiet as it was and, and that this hadn't in any form really leaked out uh, is because anyone who heard about it on the inside, you know, thought it was so crazy and so bizarre <laughs> or so embarrassing for Nebraska that it just didn't get talked about. And, you know, I think that speaks right there to the the nature of what this was. It was, as you said, a a bad look and, you know, ultimately something that ended all right or, you know, better than the alternative. And, you know, Nebraska probably should send a thank you card to Brad McMurphy of Stadium because if he hadn't let that cat out of the bag, maybe two weeks from now there would have been an announcement about, a game that was scheduled against the Mac team or Old Dominion for September 18th in Lincoln. And you can imagine the uproar, not just in Lincoln, in Norman, but around the country if that had happened. So um, Nebraska was called on this, and it was uh, it had its, its feet held to the fire. And Nebraska did the right thing on Friday by sucking in its pride and saying, okay, this was a bad idea. And I know that's not the way the statement came out. And I'm sensitive to the financials of it, to the economic impact of an extra home game. But look, Nebraska had to pay a million dollars to get out of that contract. So there's, you know, 20% of your ticket revenue that you would get, ticket and, and, and other sales that you would get from an added home game. And you have to consider that Oklahoma was not coming to Lincoln in 2022 if Nebraska pulled out of the 21 game. It just wouldn't happen. There's no way the Sooners we're going to do that. They would say, see ya, we'll find another, another team to play. And there's an economic impact then down the road to Oklahoma not coming to Lincoln for a game that will be huge for uh, the economy and everything that's going on in Lincoln 18 months from now. When we talk about you know where the program's at, you're heading into year four, got a number of guys back defensively, OU's money. I mean, they are good, they're loaded, they're playoff material. Uh, the, the baton was handed off, not dropped, and you might even have a little faster lap time with Lincoln Riley. The, the way things have transitioned so well in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Norman. But it's okay for Nebraska to go kick off September 18th, and while public embarrassments are no fun for the fan bases and really no fun for the players or head coach, it's okay to go – Swing, uh, swing for the fences, so to speak, uh, in, in a measuring stick game. I mean, that's that's why you come to Lincoln to play ball. That's why you coach in Lincoln, and uh, that's why these uh, matchups are set. Because you know, aside from the the beauty of the nostalgia and the Oklahoma Nebraska connection, I mean, people in the college football world want to see this game, whether it's overtime uh, or, or a blowout. Let's, let's at least see the action, and that's, that's the hard part to swallow, where there's some insinuation. Uh, just turn on social media. Maybe not the best judge, but just the way that Nebraska is being painted in this is trying to duck. This kind of a game is why you 
build Memorial Stadium into the palace that it is. Mm-hmm. So you can get a return date and put your best on display for the entire country to see. And in no way, shape, or form should Nebraska in year four or in year one under any coach expect that it's going to get its butt handed to it in a game against anyone six months before that game is played, unless you're playing the Chiefs. So, you know, Oklahoma's great. Oklahoma is a top-five team, most likely, uh, going into the 2021 season. It's a college football playoff favorite, certainly a, a top contender. Nebraska is none of those things, but it has some stuff going for it. And you hear it when you listen to Scott Frost talk about this team that he, that he has coming back. There's a lot there on defense, talent on the offensive side, young talent that they're excited about. And even the suggestion that Nebraska is afraid to play Oklahoma, afraid what may happen if it doesn't show well in that game and how it could impact the season going into Big Ten play is just something that's unthinkable in the way this program wants to be viewed and the way that it has been built over decades. Mitch, do you read into this at all when it comes to to Frost and the confidence he has either in himself or or in what he has down there? You know, I think that that's that needs to be kept in check a bit. That Scott's going to have an opportunity at some point to talk about this. Yeah. And you know, going into spring ball, he's going to get asked about it. It's it will have been in the rearview mirror for a couple weeks at that point. And we'll see what he says. You know, he he's got time to formulate the right answer. I don't want to jump to conclusions and believe that whatever happened here was entirely because he's not confident in his team's ability to go to Norman and fare well. Mm. Um, I do understand the sensitivities that are at play right now for him in year four and the importance of getting off to a good start and heading into the teeth of your Big Ten schedule with some momentum, you know, but the game's there and it's been there for almost a decade. And it's hugely important to everything that is Nebraska football because it's Nebraska, Oklahoma, because it's 50 years after the game of the century in Norman, because there's a return visit from the Sooners in 22 and another home and home series on the schedule, almost a decade down the road. There's so much about this game that goes beyond week three of 2021 um, that it's, you know, it's just, it's hard to put it all, uh, you know, into, into one uh, little basket at this point. But we want to hear, everybody wants to hear, I think, what Scott Frost has to say when he does get the opportunity to address what happened here on Friday and in the days leading up to that. Mitch Sherman's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, and uh, can find Mitch uh, with The Athletic. Uh, subscribe there, and of course, uh, give Mitch a follow on Twitter, at Mitch Sherman. Mitch, uh, you're going to shift gears, and a story that uh, you've been working on, uh, on Diedrich Mills. Loved watching him play ball, and uh, really uh, pretty in-depth with Mills. Mills opened up about uh, mental health and uh, really kind of bore his soul uh, with a, a piece he wrote uh, uh, for Nebraska. 
and uh, you've been able to to go a little deeper with Mills and, and people that have been pretty important in his life, not just family, but also uh, some of his coaches and also athletic director Bill Moose just uh, with, with different aspects. And uh, Mills is trying to really help out uh, his family, and, and obviously his dream's been to get to the next level, but you really do a, a mon- just a phenomenal job of detailing that. Was it pretty, um, pretty eye-opening for you to, to work on this project? Yeah, and you know the last year's been it, it has been um, you know hard for a lot of reasons, and one of them is, is that we haven't had the opportunity to have those kind of conversations with Nebraska football players that we normally do because you know, face-to-face interactions just haven't happened during the pandemic. It's all the interviews are done on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to arrange uh, to talk to Diedrich. He was on the phone, but he, w- he was in New Jersey uh, in February working out, getting ready for his pro day, which is next week, March 23rd, in Lincoln. And that's just a huge, huge day for Diedrich because, you know, he is obviously not um, – you know, Najee Harris, uh, Diedrich's got right, right. work to do for sure as a 24-year-old guy to get onto an NFL roster. He may take an undrafted route. Um, he may be a late-round pick. That's probably going to depend on what happens next week in Lincoln, and that's why he's been at work so hard for the past couple of months. You know, I, I think there were a lot of people at the end of the season who looked at the seniors on the Nebraska roster and thought, man, it would be great to get this guy back, and it would be great to get this guy back. And all fans, you know, should think like that. You know, of course, you, you want to have the key players back um, when there are opportunities for them to come back. But it was a no-brainer for Dedrick Mills, despite his, his love for Nebraska and what the school has done for him as a player and a person over the past two years. Um, he's 24, and he's got a family, a mother, three brothers um, in Georgia, a brother in California who's in the Navy, who's doing the same thing, trying to support his mom, um, who's been out of work for the majority of this pandemic, and even before that, um, worked three jobs at times when these boys were growing up, single mother in a little town, Waycross, Georgia, to support them and get them to a place where they would have opportunities in life. And he's had an opportunity, and he blew an opportunity at Georgia Tech with uh, positive tests for marijuana, something that he has owned and talked about. And he had struggles in junior college, um, and he had struggles with mental health in junior college and when he got to Nebraska. So to overcome what he has to get to this point where he's on the cusp of putting himself in position to move on to the NFL, um, it's an inspiring story. And Diedrich is, is one of the easiest guys to root for, um, I would say, all around the country when you, when you take his story and put it all together as we get into this portion of the calendar where players are preparing themselves for the NFL draft. You know, and when we talk about Mills, and one thing that I look at Mills with, and I go, man, the way he ended his junior season, the mm-hmm. the, the run he had against, uh, the, the several runs he had against Rutgers, uh, you know, his final game where he has kind of another Wisconsin-esque type performance when he gets the football Man, things just went so much better for the offense when when Mills was healthy. And I think, Mitch, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Mills played hurt last year a lot, and he really tried to gut out as much as possible 
to to help his team out. And, and I think I hope NFL guys take a look at that because he's just you, you hear the term grinder and that he is that to a definition. He's been his whole life. And I know you, you mentioned the ups and downs, but he always just goes to work. And I appreciate that about him. Yeah, as Ryan Held, Nebraska's running backs coach, told me, um, you know, he could have he could have hung it up after that Penn State game. Uh, Mills hurt his knee early in the Penn State game, went out, didn't play in that game, didn't play the next two weeks, and he made it back in December for the last three games of the year. But he wasn't fully healthy and didn't even really get to be close to fully healthy until the finale against Rutgers when you saw him go for 191 yards. And it's it's interesting. He's a, he's a He's, you know, I don't know if it's a unique kind of back, but he's the kind of back where if he gets into a rhythm, you know, he just gets better and better as the game goes on. And he had a great second half in that game at Rutgers. It was cold. It was physical. Nebraska's offensive line was, was gaining momentum as that thing went along, and he was the perfect guy to have back there to take advantage of it. Um, similar in a loss to what he did a year ago, as you mentioned, against Wisconsin going for over 180. And he did that a couple of times as a freshman, as a true freshman at Georgia Tech back in 2016. He was the MVP of the Tax Slayer Bowl, had 170 yards rushing against Kentucky. So he has that in him. And, you know, I think if you watch those games, you're going to see a guy who's capable of playing in the NFL. You know, Hell believes that he's somebody just based on the, the, the attitude and the work ethic that he brought to Nebraska every day in two years who will be the first in line to play special teams, all the special teams in the NFL. And a lot of times that's what gets you onto a roster. You get into a training camp and you have that willingness and that attitude and that positivity that he has brought over these last two years in Lincoln and you you get the benefit of the doubt and you make a roster as a, maybe you make make it as a taxi squad, Um, but eventually you get your opportunity in the NFL and you know, I think his odds are are decent, um, better than better than fifty fifty to get that chance, and and I hope he does for for him and, and for all that he's that he's fighting for. Mitch, we'll let you get out on this. Mitch Sherman from the Athletic Hale Varsity Radio at Mitch Sherman on Twitter, and uh, you're going to want to read uh, the Mills story from Mitch Sherman. Well, uh, brackets, and I know it's vacation, but do you have a Final four for the folks. Uh, Mitch Sherman's final four pick. Well, the committee sure did like the Big Ten, didn't they? <laughs> well, the Big Ten uh, liked all, the Big Ten. All wow. kinds of ones and twos, <laughs> the Big Ten names. Um, you know, with the tournament starting, what, a day later this mm. year? I'm gonna, it's going to be weird on Thursday not to have games. I'm, I'm, I'm correct on that, right? I've been a, you'll, a you'll have, out this week. You'll, you'll have play-in games and the, one of the, right. like the marquee play-in games, UCLA, Michigan State, but in earnest, it gets rocking Friday. Yeah, right. I love the uh, I love the, the Spartans and the Bruins. By the way, in that's a playing awesome. game, I feel like that's what the playing game should always be. I know there's a 16 seeded playing game too, but that that 11 seed playing game. Um, if you can find a couple of blue bloods who are who are a bit down on their luck any any given year, they should automatically be into the, in that game. <laughs> I want to see Duke in that game one year. I you know I, I'll have my bracket filled out by by Thursday or Friday. I also I'll say I think that maybe this is the year where the Big Ten is going to show well. I I think the Big Ten has been historically good this year, and you know we'll find out more uh, here this week and next week because th- there has been less to learn, less evidence with fewer out of conference games, certainly fewer of those marquee out of conference games that we normally get in December and a little bit of November. Um, but looking at the Big Ten, it looks so strong. And I was so impressed with 
Illinois and what it did in Indy uh, over the weekend. Um, I, you know, I think we'll see at least at least one and probably two Big Ten teams um, in the Final Four. So uh, excited to see that and how the league represents itself and and uh, perhaps a shot to get a championship. But but um, I cannot pick against Gonzaga to uh, cut down the nets at the end. Wow, Colin, your shot unbeaten Zags and. The first to do it since uh, Bob Knight's crew in 76. Why not? Mitch, enjoy your time. Thanks for uh, jumping on with us today. All right. Thanks, Chris. Good to talk to you. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Has come for someone to put his foot down, and that foot is me. Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, as we roll into hour number two. I'm Mark Cranack, alongside Elijah Herbal, as we have established in this show. It is Herbal, not Herbal, despite the Herbal Essence's uh, Twitter handle. I am at Mark Skurs, if you would like to chime in on anything we're talking about this morning which we are dedicating today's show to no drama we are talking specifically about football we're not talking about oklahoma gate we're not talking about transfers we're not talking about should scott frost do this or that or the win loss record none of that stuff it's not the drama today we did cover a little bit of drama in the rewind so if you came in saturday morning expecting drama and you wanted drama we we gave you a little bit in the rewind with mitch sherman but from from this point forward it's it's back to no drama well here's the thing that doesn't count because that was a rewind exactly it wasn't from today no no that was previously recorded drama and so so far we have broken down uh on the eve of spring football it's coming Right, spring football is coming soon, um, so you'll start you'll start to have those regular weekly press conferences. Uh, you'll start to have you know interviews after this practice or that practice. The hype will begin for some of these newcomers that are coming in. We uh, spent some time breaking down the offensive line and the running back position groups in the first hour, and so we're going to continue our tour here of the different position groups as we get set for spring football which is a week from monday um as winter conditioning just wrapped up by the way another thing that i'm excited to see if it actually happens um but to close out winter conditioning nebraska had its testing where they time everybody in the 40 the long jump the the high jump not high jump but the vertical leap shuttle run all those sorts of things and they used to back in the day publish all of that that was like christmas morning i mean that was like a big deal when they would publish, all right, here's you know their top ten guys in the forty. Here's your top ten guys in the vertical jump. Here's your top ten guys in the shuttle. All those sorts of things. There, there is a rumor that they will again publish that, which they have not done. The university has not done that. Going back to like I think it's like two thousand one, but it would literally be a breakdown of all that. So like you knew coming into the year, like damn, Jay Sims ran a four point four one forty. All right, get that dude the ball. So you might be seeing some of that pretty soon. Here. So and it'll, and it'll, I believe I believe the quote from Frost was that they were waiting to get those numbers up to a place where uh, they thought it was acceptable for Nebraska. Um, so to me, that seems like a, a, a way of 
not doing it while uh, the losing is occurring. While uh, I'm, if the problem becomes if you were these guys are putting up a whole bunch of big numbers and we're still going four and eight every single season, then then I think you got some. You're gonna have some angry fans saying, "Well, it's not a strength and conditioning issue anymore. Look at these guys; they're squatting 800 pounds. How are they not able to move a Big Ten defensive lineman?" Yada yada yada. Um, so I, I feel like that's got to be a. A, a less a less so of a the strength and conditioning isn't where we want it and more so the success isn't where we want it where we can publish these numbers without getting ridiculed am, am i am i reading into that incorrectly would you say i uh, you know maybe up till now but look i think it helps you you, you publish those numbers it, it's oh, it I want sort to of see helps them. yeah yeah it breeds competition it just gives fans a little bit more access and a little bit more insight um and it doesn't hurt and look if if you Keep losing on the field, then yeah, you know, nothing that you do matters, right? But Mark, what what if we were testing the uh, the Hale Varsity Radio testing numbers for the offseason? What would your forty time be? Um, are there any radio specific testing things that we could do to 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 see uh, how well we stack up to our, our counterparts from across the city, across the state? Uh, I'm pr- I'm pretty confident that I would win the forty. Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I'd probably clock in at five two at this point. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to get under six 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 seconds. I think is a respectable forty time for me. My my best ever was I think four eight. Wow, wait, wait, back wait, in the 18? day though. Yeah, it was back in the day. It was a while ago, but I've maintained a lot of my quickness and speed. All right. By the way, we're efforting uh, Brandon Vogel. We actually did, we actually just got him. Oh, well I hear him on the line here, uh, not to steal your thunder, Mark, but but Brandon, it's good to talk to you on a Saturday morning. How you doing today? How's the bracket doing? Uh, the bracket is in decent enough shape. Um, yeah, I, I had a hard time for some reason, uh, like putting a ton of care and attention into this one. Jacob, Jacob Dill and I were kind of talking about it the other day, um, and it's just a weird bracket that. I don't love a ton of the matchups. So anyway, nobody nobody cares about my bracket. It's it's okay. It's in decent enough shape. It's an average shape. Yeah. Well, join the party. Join the party. Um, Brandon, <laughs> we have spent a bunch of time this morning um, trying to stay drama free, right? If you just if you just sort of rewind over the last month, two months, three months, six years, decade, a lot of the times on the show we're talking very much about sort of off-the-field dramatics, you know, Oklahoma gate, this guy transferring, that guy transferring. It gets, right, culture, all these things that just, after a while, they get a little tiring. And spring football's coming. Winter winter conditioning just wrapped. Um, So, you know, we thought we would dedicate this weekend, uh, this weekend's show, to not being, not going dramatic and instead talking about the position groups. And we've already talked about offensive line. We've already talked about the running back position. Um, humor us, if you will, and let's move into the wide receiver position. And let's just kind of break down what Nebraska has, what they could have, um, what's going to happen. So when I say wide receiver position group, and like, like what are the first few things to come to mind in terms of what you think Nebraska will trot out there with any regularity, and do you think it is a competitive position group uh, compared to the rest of the Big Ten? Um, 
they've certainly they've gotten or they have the potential potential to be pretty big at that position um, in, in terms of physical size. That you know they've been building to that, and it, we haven't seen it all kind of come together. But if things go the right way and some players win these jobs, you know Nebraska has a chance to trot out a pretty big group when you just think about you know. Uh, Xavier Betts and Omar Manning potentially, some of these guys that they have. When I think about is it competitive with the Big Ten as a whole, it's hard to put them higher than maybe middle of the pack because they just haven't you, you just don't have that kind of proven production from this group yet. Um, so they fall behind a little bit on that front. Talking with Brandon Vogel on a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Brandon, size isn't everything. Trust me on that one. Um, <laughs> um, but when you're looking at this wide receiver group, what could a, a little added size bring to uh, to the Big Ten? I mean, the, the Huskers have struggled at the wide receiver position in the past three years. I don't think that's a, a surprise to anyone who follows the Husker football team. So, so what could a little bit of a a size influx due to the wide receiver room just when you look at, at the the secondaries that they're going to be going up against the Big Ten? Yeah, um, everyone kind of associates downfield passing with with size, but and, and that's that's you know probably true to a degree. But the biggest thing is is at wide receiver so often you just need to you need guys who can make plays. Um, which which sounds kind of basic, but like really think back to you know watching high level football. Think back to like well, think about watching Alabama. How many times in, in a game like that is the coverage pretty good? Um, the throw maybe a little bit off, and a really good receiver just goes and goes and gets the ball. Um, size helps with that a little bit. You know we don't associate that that trait of, of winning fifty fifty balls a lot with, with 5'11 wide receivers. And it's not, you know, it's not their fault. It's not that they can't do that. But when you look at Nebraska's receivers of late, uh, they're, they're leading receivers in J.D. Spielman and Wandale Robinson. They're just, they're not sized that way. And they, they found different ways to succeed. And we're, we're very good. So I think Nebraska has the potential to, to have a few guys, a few more guys who could be those just one-on-one winners specifically because, you know, they're they're more conventional 6-2, Brandon Vogel is with us on Hale Varsity Radio, and you mentioned it, and the size that, that you're talking about. I mean, Samore Torre, the, the kid out of Montana that just transferred in that has, uh, you know, proven to be productive at the Division One AA level, um, you know, 1,400-some yards. Um, a lot of talk that he would have been a day three draft pick had he elected to go into the NFL draft. So he's on campus now. You would presume that he would nab one of those starting spots. He goes about 6'2". Omar Manning goes about 6'4". Xavier Betts, 6'2", but with his wingspan, might as well be 6'5". Um, so, yeah, you could trot out some pretty big dudes. And then you, I think, a natural kind of flex over then from the wide receiver position then is the tight end position. Um what do you expect out of that? You you lose Jack Stoll, who was a bit of a mainstay over the past couple of years. Um, but obviously coming back, Austin Allen, and then maybe an influx of a guy like Thomas Fedoni and um, Chris Hicks is kind of that tweener receiver um, tight end position. Another area where you're going to get pretty significant size and some decent production coming back. 
Yeah, I think they, <clears throat> with with the season that Austin Howland had, um, even though it was an abbreviated season for, for everyone, was, was pretty encouraging. In Nebraska, certainly the size there, but I think they have kind of, We'll we'll see what Thomas Fedoni looks like as a as a true freshman. I, I don't want to put too much on him, but I think Nebraska has the opportunity to really create some some matchup problems with with kind of the the fleet of tight ends that they can run out there. Um, you mentioned most of the the top pass catching options. Travis Vokalek played a ton a ton last year too. Um, was able to get get to get some catches, but you, you really kind of, I guess, you didn't notice him on the on the line, which is a good sign for for what they're asking him to do a lot of the time. So, getting Thomas Fedoni to add to that group, um, it really just kind of broadens, I think, what they're what they're able to do. And you know, you think about it, that might be one of the most competitive spots on the team this spring, which is good. Um, that's the one. Tight end might look the most like I think these coaches dreamed it could look when they showed up three years ago. Brendan, when you're looking at that tight end position with with guys trying to to fill the the, the shoes of, of Jack Stoll, if you will, I know we have guys that were on the field a lot last year in Austin Allen and Travis Vokluck, and you got to think they're the favorites to, to see some uh, playing time next year. But for the guys looking to get some playing time, what do you think is more important in this offense? Is it the ability of the tight end to to be a threat in the passing game, uh, or is it their threat as a, as a run blocker and to be able to clear some lanes for the for the running backs? I think the the quickest path to to playing right away for for these guys. I'm looking at the roster right now, and it's kind of shocking. So they brought in four tight ends that are true freshmen: six five two twenty, six five two twenty, six five one eighty five. That's Evan Myersick, who's a great athlete, um, but is the walk on, so a little bit lighter. And then six six two thirty out of H M Collins. Um, they, they have a type there. Um, but back to your initial question, you know, what this offense I think needs, maybe not more than anything, because I would still put like a, a powerful and consistent run game at the top of the list, but they need some big plays in the passing game from somewhere. And, you know, you can look at Adrian Martinez's completion percentage um, from, from, the clear signs that Nebraska really was either didn't think it could or it just didn't work out. They didn't go downfield very often. And this offense is going to struggle to get to where I think it can be without some big plays in the passing game. So if a Thomas Fedoni or a James Carney can, can do that and offer some of that, even in, you know, 10, 12 snaps a game, I think that's the guy that gets on the field first. Well, you're, you're speaking to, I mean, uh, the lack of being able to get downfield. The whole point of the spread is to literally spread the field. And Nebraska has yeah. been able to do that horizontally, but not vertically. <laughs> if you do that yeah. vertically, it, it, it kind of changes everything. So, so maybe that, that changes um, this year. Um, all right, Brandon, I want to, I, I don't want to dive into the position group at quarterback because I think that one's just pretty damn obvious. It's Adrian Martinez. And, you know, the question is, hey, are we going to see, um, are we going to see the Adrian Martinez that we saw kind of towards the tail end of last year that kind of limits um, limits his turnovers and, and is dangerous on the ground? Or are we going to see one that's a little more erratic that we've seen in the past? But let's skip over that. And um, I will not consider this drama because I believe this is stati- statistical, like observational analysis. 
Um, something that you have coming up in, in Hale Varsity, there's an excerpt on HaleVarsity.com right now, and it's Nebraska's attrition rate in terms of, okay, the, the recruits that you bring in, how many finish their careers at Nebraska or, or how many just bounce out of there. And Brandon, from the excerpt, I, I think it stands to reason that, the, you know, if the, the further a, a recruit comes from uh, the further away uh, a recruit is from Lincoln when they grow up. Yeah, you would stand. It would stand to reason that you know some of those guys would leave because they get homesick or whatever. But the actual numbers that you uncovered here were damn near jaw dropping when I looked at that. Like, put into context a little bit for us without giving away the entire article, which will hit newsstands this week. Um, Put it in context for us, like just how drastic of a difference it is for a player that's kind of from a local area versus a player that's from, say, Florida or Texas. Yeah, it's um, it was it was shocking in how almost exactly it looked like you'd probably expect it to. So, like you said, you know, it's not <laughs> upending the model. Um, it's kind of showing that oh, that you know, we we talk about some of these recruiting challenges for Nebraska for a long time. And, and here's some evidence over the past decade. So 2011 to 20 is what I looked at um, of the players that have left Nebraska in the past. Like, let's look at it from a couple different angles. And I looked at distance, which you can read on the website. Now I also looked at when they committed. Um, and then because I had access to it, I, I looked at talent based on their, their 24 seven composite rating. And with the distance piece of it, so so Nebraska for for players that are within a 250 mile radius, those players have left at about at 18.6 percent rate, and and the overall rate for Nebraska is 40 percent. You step it up to five to the next 250 mile rate, it's 22, and then you get to the 500 to 750, it's 50, 751 and more, it, it's 51. Um, and, the, and the thing about that is 49% of Nebraska's scholarship signees have been from 750 miles away or more. So you look at, it's a tough spot for Nebraska because you got to try and get the most talented players you can land. A lot of the major talent centers in college football are 750 or more miles away. It, it's, I, I chose to break this just into four groups. Um, but I also looked at just more than a thousand. So then you're talking like only New Jersey, Florida, California, the Pacific Northwest, you know, on the rare occasion that Nebraska gets somebody from there. The attrition rate there is, is like 56%. So, you know, you see Nebraska win these, these high profile battles, but usually in Florida or, or California. And over the past, you have to look at it like, Odds are that, I mean, it's, it's slight. We're talking about 56%, you know, it's not 70. But odds are that player isn't going to finish his career at Nebraska. And, and so, you know, what do you do with that? You can't stop recruiting Florida and California, of course. It just kind of illustrates, I think, a little bit of a challenge that Nebraska has in recruiting from where it does. And I'll throw this in, too, special radio bonus info. Oklahoma's attrition, Oklahoma's attrition rate over this same span is almost exactly the same. The same 40% that Nebraska has. And Iowa's too, right? Pretty similar? Iowa's as close as well, yeah. Uh, uh, Brad, I, I was going to 
ask is the solution to this winning cures everything but based on what you just said about Oklahoma and Iowa it sounds like you're saying no winning winning is not the cure to fix the attrition rates I think in Nebraska's case, it, it might help a little bit um, just because, well, <laughs> it would feel a little bit novel. But I, but I do believe, I, I think from everything that I've looked at, and it's hard to track on a very broad and like overall national level um, because you, you really have to touch like every piece of data and, and kind of compile it yourself. But I think it would be very hard for Nebraska to – be very far from that 40% rate. It just seems like the kind of natural state of things. Hmm. Yeah, you, you do wonder if there was more of an emphasis on sort of local recruiting, and I use that term kind of broadly because to me that's you know 500 miles or less, you know, chances are your attrition rate would be lower. And it's funny, too, because you can't you can't necessarily look back at Nebraska's past and say that, you know, only the Florida and California recruits are the ones that are the, the high level all conference type players. Um, certainly their, their share, um, you know, it, it doesn't it kind of get down Brandon to sort of like personality type, right? Like, it, yeah. and how do you ascertain that? How, how do you figure out like, okay, am I getting in a mirror Abdullah? Who, yes, is well outside of this radius and, you know, percentage wise says that he won't finish his career here, but he is such a grinder and he's such a committed athlete in general. And he's got this chip on his shoulder, right? Like if you could just find guys like that, you're good versus ones that are maybe a little bit more Hollywood style, a little bit more flaky. That's kind of the problem that Nebraska is ultimately facing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and Amir is one that, that stuck out to me as I was going through this and, you know, seeing some names I hadn't thought about in, in a while. And you think back to his – so Amir was a guy who, who felt spurned by the local programs, Auburn in particular. Um, and, you know, Alabama's right there. Um, Alabama's actually a little bit closer to, to where Amir grew up. He was even in that in that Nebraska class that he came in, which was the one that included Aaron Green um, and Braylon Hurd. He kind of felt a little bit overlooked. So he was a guy who just had a chip on his shoulder. Um, found a coaching staff that um, you know when I spoke to him about it, he felt was really honest with him, which was what he was missing and what he was seeking out. So, so you do have those. I mean, a lot of this information, what I kind of took away from the whole thing um, was it's really about borderline decisions. You know, if, if you're looking at equivalent players and, you know, we think back to the 2020 class where Nebraska got kind of a lot of late ads from, from Florida and they were good. You know, they were guys Miami and Florida state offers high three-star players, like if you can find a similar high three-star player that's a little bit closer, you, you got a better chance of keeping him. So, so I think that could be an application. Like if I were doing this, if I were using this to strategize recruiting. Um, but for the most part, like it's just, yeah, you know, we've known for a long time that Nebraska has to travel far and wide to recruit. And, and there's a cost of that and cost is attrition. Hmm. Fascinating stuff, Brandon. Looking forward to seeing that article. Uh, appreciate you joining us on Hale Varsity Radio this weekend, as always. And uh, we'll talk to you again next weekend, man. Thanks a lot. Okay, guys. Thanks. All right. There's Brandon Vogel. A uh, little bit over time. God, that's just what we're doing here. That's the trend here so far. You know, Chris leaves and we get off clock. Uh, Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, joins us next on Hale Varsity Radio. 
to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Hale Varsity Radio on a Saturday morning. Voice guy is lying. Chris Schmidt is not here. Uh, Mark Cranach, me, I am here. So is Elijah Herbal as we are efforting Gary Sharp. Um, it's hard these days, man. I mean, you start getting into March Madness and all that, and... You know, everybody's schedule's thrown off. We just moved the clocks ahead an hour last weekend. Like everything's just a little. The weather's getting nicer. Chris is posting uh, all over Twitter from Arizona. People think he just like eh, can't be a hail varsity show this weekend. Chris is down in Arizona. Am I right? Like NCAA <laughs> tournaments going. Just every everybody is in like a, a vacation mood right now. I know. Have you noticed Chris always kind of posts from that same? He's got this like go to shot. He's got this like go-to shot where like you know, the mountains and the palm trees and the golf course you makes, know, makes you wonder if one day he just sat out there and took like forty different pictures from slightly different angles, like waited throughout the day to make sure like the clouds would be a little different in each picture, just so he could have this beautiful picture to like show us to be like, yeah, I'm out on the golf course right now. Look how beautiful it is. But you guys know. wish you were down here, but he's actually not. He's like sitting on a recliner inside somewhere, not even playing golf. It's cold down in Arizona. We'd never know it. Oh, that's a whole thing with like influencers. They've been busted out for like faking vacations. Yeah, they, they you know. Have you seen like uh, out in uh, Los Angeles? There's this fake plane where you can go pose and take pictures, make it look like you're flying first class somewhere, even though. So like, what you yeah. can do is like you can go and ahead of your trip if you're an influencer and take pictures from these uh, this like first class looking airplane thing, and you can save yeah. them for later. And then when you go take your trip, you can go fly with like, the common folk back in the yeah. uh, the back of the airplane but then you can post pictures acting like you're in first class going to hawaii or whatever it's all fake man it's all fake it's a fake social media world you know that's why we're talking about what's real today we're so, not talking about the drama are we comparing chris to an instagram influencer here is that what is that where the saturday morning show is gone is that what chris is uh, nowadays i mean he's got a ways to go there you know he's got a way i'm not sure what kind of dollar he would command uh but you know he's got he's got a chance if if he wants to be look he's got good hair uh, you know can, <laughs> it's always the hair <laughs> you know his hair can take him places he can become an influencer if he wants he, you know and then he, if he gets enough growth going on sometimes he's you know Antonio Banderas looking a little bit right just a little um, hmm. so you know he, he's got that opportunity uh, we have spent today breaking down the position groups and we have gotten through pretty much all of the offense I just don't want to spend time on quarterback because I just think. There, there's not like a position battle there. Um, and you know, unless, unless, um, the kid, the kid out of Alabama, why am I forgetting Logan Smothers. Smothers, unless Logan Smothers somehow just lights the world on fire. It's obviously Adrian Martinez's job or bust. Yeah. And I, I don't um, see a guy like Heinrich Harburg, a freshman coming in and unseating a guy who's been starting for three years. Um, as much as I'd like to see Heinrich Harburg be the guy of the future for Nebraska football. Uh, I like his frame. I like his size. I like that. He's a Nebraska kid. I think he gets Nebraska. I don't see a true freshman quarterback coming in and unseating a guy who's a three-year starter, regardless of he's showing up early for spring ball or not. Yeah, I know. It, especially coming from like class C, going, going to the Big Ten, it's, it's you know big jump. But on the uh, bright side, if we're not going to talk about quarterback, it gives us time to talk about a very exciting position battle in the punter spot, right? Yay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's worth talking about. And look, Nebraska has historically been very good at that position. Um, very good at that position. Recently, no, not so much. I mean, been okay. You, you could argue uh, Nebraska's been kicker and punter you. Guys like really? Alex Henry coming through. You have uh, you had Brett Maher, who 
made it for uh, years in the NFL, was kicking some long kicks for the Cowboys. Um, Sam you, Cook's you, still doing it. Sam Cook's still doing it. You, you can't count uh, Zerline because he's from Pius, but didn't go to Nebraska. Should have offered him. But then you also have a guy like uh, Chris Brown who made it for years in the uh, the NFL as well. Yeah, look, it's Nebraska's been been fortunate. And Josh Brown back in the day also had a nice um, nice NFL career. Uh, so yeah, you've you've had some really good ones, and it, it seems like it seems like you got this guy Daniel Cherney. I believe it's Cherney. It could be Cerny, the kid out of Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he comes from a, a a kicking and like punting academy in Australia. Australia has this very entrepreneurial spirit about them. And they have developed this like very intense, very successful, like kicking and punting academy where pretty much the last several like Luke Rosa award winners and the Ray guy award winners, like a very high percentage of those award winners from college originate from this one academy down in like, I think it's Canberra, Australia. Yeah. I mean, uh, you look at the guy uh, punch of the year last year was a, uh... Uh, in the NFL was Michael Dixon, um, not not related to the Michael Dixon who does ju- or assault dogs baseball games here in Lincoln. Different Michael Dixon, but he was uh, also from the same academy as Daniel Cherney, and he's just I mean almost revolutionized the puncher spot with how flexible he is. Uh, don't want to I mean through his his midsection we'll call it I guess just able to get that I mean his foot's up above his head like it's ridiculous stuff and it, mm-hmm. it's it's just it, it's. You remember how like the uh, the Australian style punt where they're all running out to the right before they kick it that kind of took college football by storm five six years ago. But now you have these same Aussie punters just doing a traditional American style punt and doing it Amer- better than the Americans. Yeah, and look, you know, Australia is a, a heavy rugby playing country, so like the foot motion and the foot and the leg strength and all that gets developed. Um, it's also they're big into soccer, big into cricket. Um, but yeah, so it, it translates and there's an actual academy where like you go to school there, you, <laughs> I mean, it, but it's all about kicking. Uh, and the idea is that you get opportunities in the United States and Nebraska has one of those guys and he could have figured in last year, but he was hurt. Um, but this year health, uh, as long as his health is okay. I mean, it's a dude that can just absolutely crush the football. <laughs> I mean, I, now, can, from, from can the he punter, do it consistently? We'll see. Yeah, All the while from the punter at Nebraska is kick it. 50, 55 yards in the air and aim for a sideline. That's all I want. Don't Let's not jack around with the punt coverage. Let's just aim for a side. If you can land it directly on the white strip of the sideline, it's the perfect punt every time. I just want a punter who can do that or just about that. Even if he doesn't hit the sideline, you're uh, you're forcing the punt returner up against the sideline as opposed to right in the middle of the field, which is how it feels like a lot of the punts have been going the past couple of years, where then you have to make your coverage go down and make a play. Um and maybe we have a guy in Cherney who can do that, who can actually directionally punt and hit a sideline. I mean, when you look at this this academy, they've pumped out six of the last seven Ray Guy Award winners in college football. Like it, they're just ridiculous. It, it's a it's a franchise of sorts of what they're uh, they're building down there. Just punter after punter after punter is coming from uh, Australia and, and taking America by storm. Well, I, I guess they're, yeah. they're they're still punting. I'm not sure if they're taking America by storm, but. And Nebraska's got that guy. They got one of those guys now. Um, We've probably, now, kicking, compl- after discussing this and saying six of the past seven Ray Guy Award, I've probably just overhyped him way too much now. But It's called Pro Kick Australia. That's the name of the mm. club. So I, I think you would equate it to like club volleyball here or club, you know, baseball, AAU. I mean, it's it's sort of that sort of thing. It's like an actual kind of training 
training ground. So yeah. we'll see the rock starts Australia. <laughs> well, let's see if he can grab that position, though. You know, and it, he, he's he's the front runner as long as he's healthy. And then kicking wise, it's a similar deal. Like you got to be able to just kind of take the variability out of the kicking game and just boot into the end zone and force touchbacks. Right. Like uh, you go back to uh, probably the famous one, the one that started the, you know, the, the student section taking off their shoes and holding it up. That was Adi Kunalik. And you, look, you could count on that guy to just crush it past the end zone and there's no return. And when there's no return, that means you have not great field position. And when you don't have great field position, you don't score a lot and you help out your offense, right? It's, it's sort of that simple. Nebraska's struggled to find that guy that can just kick it through the, through the end zone, through the uprights, even on a good win day. Um, and just eliminate that the entire return game for, for an opponent. There's talk that this freshman Kellen Meyer could be that guy. We'll see. Place kicking wise, I think you got a good one in Connor Colt, mm. transfer out of LSU. He's pretty accurate from, you know, probably 40 and in. I think he's your go to guy. He's not a huge leg guy. He's probably not the one that's going to kick a 55 yarder for you. Um, but feel, feel good enough at that position at the field goal spot. But it's really the kickoffs. If you can lock that down and you can lock down punching, when you, when you look at, as frustrating maybe as the past several years for Nebraska has been, imagine if you insert good kicking and good punting into any of those, any of the games, any of the 20 games that, that Coach Frost and his regime have lost. Insert really good kicking and punting into any of those games. I think you reverse five to seven of those losses, maybe more. Maybe more. I mean, it's that critical because, look, 12 of Nebraska's 20 losses have been by eight or less. Right. That's not a huge margin. This is not a team that is getting blown the hell out. It's not. It's little things. (laughs) Right. It's not turning it over. It's not giving up a big return, which happened to Wisconsin a couple times. Right. Um, you eliminate those things that happened against Rutgers, same guy, actually, as the guy Krukshank that did it for Wisconsin. Oh. You eliminate those things. And I mean, you're literally talking about a different record. You're you're closer to 500, if not above 500. If you only insert very good kicking and very good punting, it's that critical. My, my question is, is has the issues on special teams, specifically punt coverage and, and kickoff coverage, is that the punter or the kicker not putting his coverage unit in a good spot, be through a, whether it be a bad kick, a bad punt, what have you, or is it that the punters and kickers are doing what they can, but they're being let down by their coverage team going downfield, not being able to stay in their lanes. I don't know, but after three years of, of not being able to find success in special teams, I sure hope they figure it out soon. And I hope that the, the answer is as simple as, I mean, on a kickoff, it's always as simple as just get it through the end zone. Don't even put it in the hands of your coverage team. But on a punt, is it the coverage team or is it the, the punter who's, you know, not getting enough hang time, not putting it in the right spot? Um, the, the the punt coverage team thinks the punt's going right and it goes right down the middle. I, I'm not sure what the issue is because I'm not within the team. But you would think that having a, a guy who's a, you know, a, a, a trained punter in Australia for the last however many years of his life, and also let's not forget he's 25 years old. He's more mature than most of these guys in the team. Is he gonna? Is he gonna be able to solve that issue, or is it a more fundamental issue within the coverage units? I, I guess I don't know. You'll see. But that's that's why I'm saying you got to eliminate the variables. Mm. 
you know, you just eliminate the variability there if you just put it through the end zone on, on kicks, especially now on punts. I, you, I mean, you hit it. It's hang time and it's direction. Right? If, if your hang time is four seconds plus and you're putting it within sort of a five yard radius of where it should be, you are eliminating so many variables and it's a lot easier to cover at that point. One, the hang time's there. So your team is that much closer to the return man. And then two, if it's a, if it's in the right direction, then you know you're outflanking the competition there, and you're limiting the return yardage, or you're forcing fair catches. I mean, just literally fixing those two things alone—it's pretty incredible, actually. It's pretty incredible to like fathom if you just go back through and look at some of the games and how they've shaken out. If you literally just insert really good kicking and really good punting, and nothing else, the turnovers are stay the same. All the other kind of things stay the same that that you know make you pull your hair out as you've been watching this program for the past several years. All those things staying the same, you're literally, literally talking about a program that is above 500 and therefore going to bowl games and therefore probably keeping more players and therefore probably recruiting better and therefore not having things like Oklahoma get right. Like it's the the impact of it is monstrous. And I think and so this is why. If, if, sorry, continue. No, you, you got it. I was going to say, I think this is why Husker fans watching at home can, can look at this program and say, you know what, it does feel close. Because there have been have like eight losses by less than eight points, one possession, where it's it's close things, it's little things that you just you want to bang your head against a wall because you see it time after time, year after year now, for three years of the Frost program, you've seen the same mistakes happen, costing you ball games. And, and you think as a Husker fan, you just think there's got to be one of these off seasons, they got to get more of these things fixed than that they don't and it leads to some wins it leads to a bowl game it leads to some momentum but then the, the thought creeps into your back of your head you go is this systemic is this a has this been a problem for three years now not because they, they haven't worked on it but because it's it's something that they have tried to get fixed and, and just can't that's my worry is this is this deeper than oh it's just we need one more better player in there to fix some issues or is it more systemic Again, it's another thing I don't have the uh, the question to. But after three years, it's becoming worrisome to me. Yeah, and you've you look, you've. <laughs> I mean, just think about how ridiculous it was a couple of years ago. I believe it was the 2019 season, where they literally had to like put out an APB on campus. Like you're a student, you probably got that leaflet. But we need a kicker. Some anybody, please. I mean, they're doing like an airdrop, you know, like like, I don't know, 60s era propagandist military stuff where you're like dropping leaflets just trying to find a kicker. And they had to pluck one off of the club soccer team. And for those that don't know, and I think most people do, Nebraska does not have like actual sanctioned varsity soccer. So they have a club team that anybody can try out for and play. I'm just imagining like, 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 like I was like, like I was on the club baseball team. OK, like anybody could play. So this isn't even like high level division one soccer person that you're plucking and bless them. I can't, I can't remember the kid's name already, but like that's how desperate you were at that position because of kind of some, you know, misses in recruiting or whatever else. You just literally did not have kickers on campus that could like kick a 25 yard field goal or kick off the ball. And you had to pluck from the club soccer team. I just imagine coach Frost sitting like 
outside the gates at the Maple Leaf Fields with like his binoculars looking at like kids playing intramural <laughs> soccer, trying to find the ones with the oh, best, yeah. li- looking for the kids that are booting it way over the goal. And that's my guy. That's my guy to make a kick. Look at him. He missed that thing Dude. 20 yards over the goal. That was beautiful. <laughs> but I mean, that's what they were dealing with. though. <laughs> that's what they were dealing. And is that, so I don't know if you call that systemic as much as you just call that like, Dude, you just got to get some guys with some legs in here. Right? And whenever you're focusing on like going and recruiting the club soccer team, I guess you can't go and spend time on making sure your, your punter is kicking it within five yards where he says he will or your coverage team staying in their lanes every single time. You don't have time to watch film whenever you got to go hit Mabel Lee at six to watch uh, the, a, a, a Class B intramural game. Then you got to head over to the rec center, watch a Class A intramural game. You, you got your, your short list of uh, soccer players on campus that you've been scouting for years now, making sure you got a kick. I mean, I'm obviously taking this way too far, but like, whenever you just don't have the guys, it, it can be difficult to to actually try to make a change as opposed to, you know, when it, you're still recruiting, you're still doing all this stuff. I'm sure Scott Frost is a busy guy, but I'm, I'm, just, I mean, si- I'm just sick of how close this Husker football team is. And people forget it's easy to forget that it's easy to forget that. And it, and it might even sound like you're enabling or excusing things, but there, there was, really there was a lot away. of broken things. This coaching staff had to come in and fix Yeah, a lot. And, and now, look, they are far away from Ohio State and being elite, but they're not far away from being in bowl games and mm-hmm. being mid to upper in their division. I, I just not. That's a nice last thought for us to end here, Mark. On I, I Yeah, like I think. We got to step aside, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Good stuff today, though, Elijah. Yeah, fun as always, Mark. Appreciate you, Damon. All right, that's it for Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Weekend edition, Chris back Monday. We'll talk to you Chris next week. Chris back weekend. Tuesday. Chris back Tuesday, I think. I was lying. Okay, we'll see you later.